talk to her, you could tell she's thinking about it. And the other one, if she wasn't jumping out of bed, you weren't getting through to her. So through the years, I've always told college kids, whatever you need to do. You know what I mean? If you need to stand, you need to twirl, if you need to knit in my class, I don't care. Just pay attention. And uh, I know we all learn differently, and sometimes you don't learn by sitting there. So if you need to get up and move around, that's certainly up to you. And hopefully you know what you need to do to learn uh, and, and think. Um, as you can tell, I'm old school. I, I like sitting and listening to lectures. Well, that's what I do to people. So it's like, not only do I like listening, I guess that's what I like doing. Um, so if, if young people like classes where there's a lot of interaction, I usually say, go to another teacher. Because it's just not my style. It's, I don't know that his style is ordained or not, but it's just not mine. Um, and if I try it that way, the reason I don't, by the way, is because I get onto tangents and I can never get back. So if you asked a question, it was over here. I'd start going over there with you, and before you know it, I can't get back to where I was. And if you're doing college-level classes, you're, you're supposed to go somewhere and finish those things. So it's like, don't talk to me. Just listen so I can get there. And uh, that's unfortunately a style. Um, I want to keep going in on the idea of uh, the foundational blocks that are kind of knocked out and in, a, in an acceptable way, like creation and gender and, and love. It really begins to be so complicated that nobody actually wants to dive into it anymore. It's kind of like Washington, D.C. now. Washington, D.C., believe it or not, I think is prime for a dictator. And I think Trump thinks so, too. Um, <laughs> just off the cuff, I think. He probably thinks, maybe it's Fryman. I'm the guy, you know, so maybe. maybe. I'm not sure. The, you don't know where I'm at politically. I'm, actually, I'm amused by what's going on in Washington in one way, and I'm saddened totally by another, in another way. So I have no idea what actually is true coming out of that place. However, I do know this, that taxes are too complicated. This is the idea that happens to something that is a simple idea that goes crazy I don't know if there's any tax lawyers here. Are there any tax lawyers here? Okay, I was just wondering, because the tax lawyers, I normally ask them if they've ever read the whole tax code, and they just look at me goofy, like, no. Who would do that? Just wondering. It's like passing a bill and not knowing what it says till after you pass it. Oh, yeah, they do that too, I know. The, the bottom line really is to me is that taxes could be a very simple thing. If I were president, and I never will be, but if I was, because they need a few old white guys running for president. <laughs> but if I, if I was a president, I think I'd say, you know, the tax code is beyond my comprehension. I mean, that would be part of my platform. I'm not going to lie to you about reading the stupid thing. It's too long. There's too much language in there I would never understand, and nobody understands. So I would scrap it on day one. The whole tax code, gone. And I would implement a 10% tax across the board, no breaks for anybody, just to see where things go. And from there, we'll make decisions. Because then I can understand something. It didn't work at 10%, it did work at 10%. Let's figure out from there and, and make it so that we can actually get something accomplished in this country. I would challenge any of you to go and read the tax code and figure out how we're going to fix it. The tax foundation also points out that tax code isn't the only thing that Americans must deal with to complete their taxes. 
talks about the 7.7 million words, 7.7 million words of tax regulations from the IRS and 60,000 pages of case law that is tax related. So after you read the tax code, then you need to do all this to understand how all the tax code is implemented. Honestly, honestly, has anybody done that? And this is the tax code that drives our country. These are not law, but also important pieces to understanding the taxes. Okay? I went through and I actually talked about how many pages the tax code itself is and et cetera. And I want it simple in life so I can deal with what the problems are and try and solve them. Part of what happens is we make things so utterly complicated, like the creation. How complicated is the creation? Oh, well, you should see it. We can, we can make it so complicated. Or we can make it the way God said, in the beginning, God. Go on. No, that's it. That's it. He created. I get that. Somebody created. Somebody created. Somebody created. I get that. Somebody created the tables, chairs. Get that. I got that. Chairs were created a specific purpose. Got it. We're not using them as life jackets. Why? They're chairs. You use them as a life jacket, you're a fool. Because they're chairs. We got it. Somebody made it. It's got a purpose. Got it. You see what happens when you leave things simple? It's not that hard. Tables, what are they for? What are you using them for? They're, they're really not meant to be Frisbees. You could try. It won't work. Why? They're simple. They're afraid. Somebody made them. They made them for this purpose, so that's why they look that way. When you look at the universe, you just look at it, and you look at it objectively, you look at it and say, wow, somebody made it. And because somebody made it, it has a purpose. And because somebody made it and has a purpose and I'm a part of it, then I need to submit to the purpose. If you want to use that chair properly, believe it or not, you're submitting to the purpose of the chair. The purpose of the chair is to sit. You want to use the table properly, you're, you're submitting to the purpose of the table. And all those designers then were right on how they designed it and made it, and you're using it. So the ramifications are simple. Creation, again, is a simple idea in a way and very complicated in another way. Here's what happens again. We go in, in, in science is what I love and go into a lot, but we go into it and, and we want to somehow understand it. That's a different ballgame. Understanding how it's done is different than knowing that it's done. I said that last night, so I'm not going into it again. Hey, I don't know how God said, let there be light, and there was light. See, I don't know that part. But because I'm not God, I don't need to know that part. See, that goes in a lot of different areas, a lot of different ways. Um, my wife, she knows, you know, again, how to give birth to a child. I don't know. I'm never going to know. I don't want to know. That's something that's unique to her. We'll leave that be. 
You see, what I want to do is live in the idea that life is given to us by a creator that makes sense. He made the world, and the world makes sense. And it has a purpose, and I need to keep looking for the purpose that he created in it. Now, some people say, well, you know, we abuse the world. It's wearing out. You know, well, read the Bible. It says it's going to wear out like a garment. Makes sense to me. Can't use something all these years and not have it wear out. Some people say, well, let's get in the complicated thing of, you know, the, the Bible says the earth was created, but it, it's billions of years old. Once again, just stop. If you look at the Bible, it says it was created things. It created Adam, and it created Adam as an adult. It created trees that had fruit on them. God created an old earth. He created it instantly, but it's old. And he is able to make something. As he created it, he made it. Look, it's age. So I pick up a rock, and I go, this rock is 4 billion years old. It's like, that's not. It's actually only that many years old, but God made it old to start with. So if you want 5 billion, 100 billion, 14 billion, billion, I, I have no idea how old it is. But when he made rocks, he made them mature. When he made trees, he made them mature. When he made Adam and Eve, they were adults, as far as we know. So they looked adults. That's all. It's not that hard to explain. Why do we have to make it complicated? Making things complicated takes people and destroys them. Because now we've got all these theories about how it happened. You know, first of all, none of us were there, so everybody's going, except for what's said in the Bible, I have no idea how it happened. I have no idea how old it is. I'm never going to argue with somebody about the age of the earth because, again, the theories start to mount up. And you have all these, now you have more that you don't know than you know. Not that hard. Gender roles, same thing. God created male and female. I want to, you know, it is so important for us to understand that God gives us a different role in life. Our passion doesn't precede our work. Our work actually develops our passion. I was talking to one of my students about that recently. You know, I'm a teacher by profession, and I was teaching uh, fifth grade for three years. Here's the truth, though. I never wanted to teach in a school. But I went to teach in a school, and when I went to teach in a school, God used that to solidify my love of teaching and to move me to here. But I needed to go and work every day at being good at a teacher in a public school first. And as I did that, my passion changed. And I realized my passion was for education, but not to teach math. In fact, one day I'm driving home and I thought, you know, God, someone who doesn't even know you at all could teach math probably better than I can. Because honestly, God, I'm not that good at it. Four out of three people are better than I am at math. <laughs> Never mind. Bottom line really isn't all when you look at it. God developed us all very unique. We're different for great purposes. You lose that if you start saying, no, everything's the same. Men and women are the same. Everything's the same. So right from the beginning, God made it very clear. There's a huge difference. Why does our culture now, there's, I forget New York, how many genders they've created. I, I lost count. You know what I tell kids when I see them? There are boys, there are girls, that's all. You say, Dave, you're so politically incorrect. How can you say that? Because there are boys and there are girls, and that's all. 
you want to make this more complicated? Do you know how complicated it is for a child growing up when there's 38 genders and they're trying to figure out what bathroom to use? Why do we do this to them? Say, well, that's kind of old fat. No, because we want to be God. We, we want to see, what we want to do is be people who have no roles, which means no responsibility. We don't have any, we don't want that. We want everything to be the same for everybody, whether responsible or irresponsible, doesn't matter. And then this lump thing, this lump thing. God, people still that I talk to this day say, you know, why didn't God create people and just force them to love them? And I look at him like, that's really dumb. Dumb. And how can you say that, Dave? Because it is. Do you know what love is? Oh, you know what? We don't as a culture, do we? Because we use the word love for so many things. And we use it for pizza. We use it for cars. We use it for... It's so diminished. The word love itself in our culture is so diminished. People can fall in love. Whenever a kid says, you know, I work with kids, and you hear them talk, and they go, you know what, yeah, they, they finally used the L word, man. They said they loved me. I'm thinking, what does that mean? Does that mean this warm, fuzzy, gooey feeling? Describe what you just said to me. What? Well, I don't know. They just used it. Boy, is that special. So they used a word that you think is special, but you have no idea what it actually means? Dave, I don't like talking to you. <laughs> I just wonder what you meant by that. When you say you love somebody, what do you mean by that? that? That's all I'm asking. I know what God means by it. I know what he means by it when he says I should love you. I know that he tells me I can love my enemy. So is that what you're talking about, that kind of love? And again, if they're in high school, they're going, I don't even want to talk to you. Because it means what I want it to mean. But then you complicate it, actually. You don't make it simple. If somebody can love you and break a commitment and do it because they just feel that way, you're in trouble. Absolute truth is really about submission. Having a creator means the universe is about somebody else. What if what, you know, the whole universe is not about Dave Wager? It's about God. Anything in our country, anything in the world that starts to get away from that is going to get in trouble. So really, the, the, the universe, the creation points to God. It doesn't point to me. And as I enjoy the creation, I need to see it point to God. So if I'm Satan, I want to attack the idea of creation and make it so it points to nothing. Because if you know God, he loses. But the whole creation points to God. That's what it does. And what we do is we mess it up. We start to make everything about us. Our feelings are not about God, but about us. So the storm that went through, oh, poor me. Look at all the stuff I have to go through. Really, Dave, this is about you? What if that storm was about God? What if our churches were about God and not about you, Dave? How would they look? What would they be like? What if you were meant to be about God? But you keep trying to live about Dave. Are you going to be frustrated? Because you're trying to live out of the context of reality? Having a creator means the universe is created by someone else. 
And because it's created by someone else who's so powerful they can speak, I need to submit to this creator. Romans 13, 1 to 7, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority, no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authorities resists what God has appointed. Now, you look at this and it's talking about government, yeah. Honestly, God tells us in life there is structure and there is submission, and submission is a very important part of life. We think submission is talking about weaknesses. It isn't. That's what God created us to do. He created us to submit. I need to love my wife like Christ loved the church. I need to submit to her needs. I need, she needs to submit to me and let me do that. I need to submit to our government when our government does not get in the way. God instituted government. He instituted church. I need to be submissive. I need to be submissive in a church. I need to be submissive in a government. One of the things that Dave Wager needs to work on is understanding the importance of submission. I need to submit to you. I need to try and figure out what is it that you need in life because God tells me I need to love you, which means what I'm doing is looking for a way to make you successful in life no matter what it costs me. I'm looking for that way. And I need to submit to what your needs are. You see, Satan hates when we submit. I often wonder, you know, why, why, why did people fast in the Bible? Why fast? Oh, i got to show God how sincere I am. He already knows. Don't fast to show him how sincere you are. Well, then why should I fast? Let's get together and fast and pray. Why? Does God need to be told what to do? Is that what prayer is about? You were sleeping yesterday, so let me inform him and tell him here's what's going on and you need to do this? No. What are all these things about? You know, when I, I have never seen it in my life where when I don't say no to my, when I say no to myself, I always benefit. The discipline, the submission of just doing, I tell the college kids that are up here every year, I tell them, I want you to say no to a candy bar. Just say no to it, Please. And the guys that I mentor, that's part of the requirement. I want you to have a candy bar that you really like sitting next to your bed. Don't eat it all year. I want you to look at it, pick it up, sniff it, go, nice, put it back. <laughs> Why? I just want you to practice saying no to yourself. I want you to be good at one thing, saying no to you. I want you to submit. When you drive, I want you to drive the speed limit. That's why I was lobbying you, Paul. You should have been 90. <laughs> why well, go with the rest of these states at 70? Let's go ahead of them. <laughs> but honestly, we're supposed to be subject to our government. They said 70, you drive 70. I don't want to. Practice submission. It's good for you. Practice submission in your taxes. Practice submission in things. Practice it. What has happened in the world because of the fact that we don't want to admit there's a creator, in every area of our life, we're losing the idea of what submitters look like. And submission is a key part of being human. Submitting to God first. Submitting to one another second. 
kind of culture would you live in if people submitted to God and submitted to the needs of each other? Therefore, whoever resists authorities resists what God has appointed. You want to resist the government on matters that are not against the scriptures? Then you'll stand before God for it. You don't do that. You use it as a tool to learn to submit. And those who resist will incur judgment. I didn't say that. God's word did. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God and an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Look, it, it's right. So you may not like paying taxes, but pay them. It's part of our submission practice. I'm honestly glad that somebody pays for stop signs and ambulances and all that kind of stuff. I, I kind of think it's important that people should probably all stop at one of those four-way places so that we don't have accidents going through there all the time. But honestly, someone's got to pound it in the ground. You've got to make the sign. You've got to pay for it. Who's supposed to do that? I drive on the road. I'm really not against paying for my fair share of whatever. We're not getting into the discussion of how they use taxes, whether they're used well. That's not my point at this point. My point is I need to be a submissive guy. And in a culture that doesn't value truth and a culture that doesn't value absolutes, submission is out the window because there's nothing to submit to. I'm the ultimate authority. Honestly, there were so many years where I drove down the street and I thought, that speed limit's for everyone but me. I'm the authority. I have good reason for why I'm going fast. Really? Why don't you use this for an opportunity to submit? Yeah, but you can do this and not get caught. So is that what it's about? What is it about? You see, we're bad submitters. No matter how you want to deal with it, we're, we're just bad submitters. All good things are fueled by submission. Without submission, and submission is only possible when we submit. I know, that's a profound statement. <laughs> really, there's great things that happen because of submission, and it, it's only possible when we decide to be submitters. First to God, then to others. Those who know God really don't struggle with submission. Eventually they say, you know what, I know God, I'm going to do what's right. The reason I have young people with that little candy bar is very simple. You know, I mean, there's so many struggles in there, like so many temptations, so many things. I just, I really do want them to see they can say no to something. It's, it's not that difficult, and I know sometimes you're a legalist, you have to say no to a candy bar. So, yeah, it, it doesn't have, I, I'm just asking them to work on something. Confusion doesn't come from God. He's the creator. He created gender. He created love. If you're confused, either don't know God or you didn't understand what he said. Those are really two options. See, knowing God clears a lot of confusion. And, and knowing God clears confusion because you understand something. He's your heavenly father who loves you if you're in his family. If you're not in his family, that's not going to clear any confusion. But if you're in his family... 
You know, when I was a kid, no matter what the tragedy was, sirens, I grew up in Chicago, or sirens all the time. As long as my dad was home, he could take care of everything. Now, when I'm older, I realize that probably isn't true, but when you're a kid, that's how you are, and, and it's a childlike faith like that. I come to God and say, God, you, I can trust you. Yeah, I don't know what the future says, but see, I have a relationship with you. I know who you are. I'm not, yeah, I can be confused if I just want to look at the details that's going on right here. I can be confused if I'm looking at the trees flying around the storm. I can be confused by that. Or I can look at you and say, how are you going to work this out, God? I'm not confused by God. I'm confused by the storm. You deal with the storm, God. It's your storm. I'm not even confused with what I'm supposed to do. I need to pick up the trees now. I had a different agenda, but I'm picking them up now. I'm not confused with what I'm supposed to do. See, when we start to play God, we get more confused because we don't have the vantage point God does. We don't know what's going on. Confusion, a lot of times, is just the, the fruit of being trying to be God. Because we realize our limitations. We can't see the future. We don't know the future. We can't do anything in the future. So confusion comes because I'm trying to take a role that's not mine. If I ever became the accountant for Silver Birch Ranch, any of you that might be giving to Silver Birch Ranch, stop. <laughs> I would be totally confused after a while. This place would be just, anyone that knows books would look at it and go, what in the world? My wife, after one year of marriage, went and said, um, so what's the balance in the checkbook? I looked at her and said, balance? What are you talking about? You do balance the checkbook, don't you? It's a little hard. I can put it on my finger. <laughs> Dave, did you ever balance the checkbook? I remember looking at her going, am I supposed to? Dave, do you want me to do this? I'm the leader. But why didn't you do it? Because, you know what I found when my dad died? He never balanced his checkbook either. He would just take the bank statement, put it in there, and say, that's what we must have. Be done. I was thinking, learn from the best. To this day, she's done our finances. When I did them, they were confusing. Because I was doing something that was outside of my realm. Pretending that I knew what I was doing, I didn't even know the right language, much less do it. First Corinthians 14.33, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. I, as I get to know God, the, the, one of the things I look for is the fruit in life that comes from just enjoying who he is. In the shepherd book that I wrote back there, you know, one of the most important things, one of the great points is simple, you know, lions and wolves and coyotes they really will kill a lamb anytime and the lamb didn't do anything to deserve it but the lamb's defense is stay right next to the shepherd that's their only defense by the way it isn't taking on the wolves it isn't taking on the lamb it's not doing it a unique way a new way no it's let me just stay right by the shepherd as i'm by the shepherd i don't have to worry about I, you know, I'm not going over to the wolf going, why do you hate me? I need to understand this constant, this constant saliva flowing out of your mouth when you look at me. What have I done to make you want to kill me? 
I could spend all my time there. Or I can say, you know what? I don't need to understand all that. I think I'll just stay by the shepherd. And now the lion, the wolf, the coyote, they're just looking at a distance going, I'm waiting. Waiting for what? Waiting for you to come and discuss with me why you think I'm so dangerous. But can you do that apart from the shepherd, please? We'll go for a walk, you and me. Isn't it reasonable that we actually talk through our problem? See, as a lamb, I might think, that sounds pretty good. And as soon as you get me away from the shepherd, I'm dead meat, literally. I would be confused by what you're doing. I'd be confused by the fact, no, staying by the shepherd, I'm not confused. Apart from the shepherd, I'm going to be confused. People in this world, they stay by God, they're not confused. They're not you want to have no creator? You're going to be confused as to the source and, the, and everything that happened as far as getting here to where we are today. You, you, want to, you want to say there are no genders? You're going to be confused. You're going to have to start making up genders and figuring out all that stuff, and, and the whole world's going to grow up just absolutely confused. And when you are confused, you act confused. You want to not love? Well, then you're not going to live in the context of how you were created, and, and you're going to be confused as to what love is in the first place, and you're going to love pizza just as much as you do people. And that's when you slip into using things that you should love and loving things you should use. Submission is fueled by the idea of an almighty God, creator. He fuels the idea of unique purpose, starting with genders. See, he fuels the idea. Dave Wager was made in, uniquely in the image of God, and I was made uniquely, and I have unique gifts and talents and abilities. So does Linda Wager. So does put in your name there. We're all different. This is something that we all rejoice in. And actually, the difference is, as God teaches it, is since I made all of you that way, I want you to act in accordance with how I made you. That's what I want. So God created man in his own image, in the image of he in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Man, once again, you look at Satan, he just, he just takes all the foundational bricks and starts to dismantle them. He realizes that if he can get people to not realize that God made them uniquely the way they are, he can spread confusion to the universe. Because I'm sure the angels are looking at it going, huh? What are you doing? God created you this way. You're saying you're not that way. But you are. But you're not submitting anyway, so you don't want to submit to God anyway, so you're not going to be who you are. Which causes confusion and anger. And eventually, this leads to acceptance of the body of Christ principle. See, eventually, if you really do understand uniqueness, you begin to understand what's talked about in the New Testament as far as body of Christ. I, you know, am I important as part of the body? Sure. Am I so important that the other part of the body isn't important? No. no. All needs to work together. See, I understand my role. You understand your role. See, that's part of men, women, extroverts, introverts. It's part of all that. It's part of all that. And we accept it. Knowing there's a creator causes us to submit to God in purpose and plan. Knowing that he made genders causes us to rejoice in our unique roles and submit to the context of those roles. Knowing that we were created to love allows us to focus on submission to God and love each other. See, these three little principles found in the book of Genesis at the beginning allows us to live the life that God intended us to live. 
And if I am Satan and I want to destroy the ideas that God has placed in our lives, I'm going after those three things. And it's not hard for us to see in our culture, in our culture today, the idea of a creation is attacked. The idea of genders is attacked. The idea of submission is attacked. And the fruit that Satan is trying to do is get a people that are so confused, they are living lives hopelessly confused, meaning they have no significance because they are accidental blobs of protoplasm if you look at how this plays out. And their minds know it, so suicide, depression, anger, those are the fruits. So if a young person comes to me and they're contemplating suicide, I immediately start talking to them about creation. Why? Because there's something messed up. They haven't understood that God made them. They haven't understood their value. If your value can change, in other words, if you're getting value from a paycheck or you're getting value from a person or a relationship, if something in your life you're gaining the value from but it can change, then it's a dangerous thing. Because value comes from the fact that God loves you and created you. That doesn't change. My marital status can change. My wife can die. I can die. You know, all of a sudden you're widow, widower, whatever. My health can change. A storm can come and change. I mean, all you're getting your value from those things. Remember, I was the only one walking around when the storm came, being here 52 years, thinking my whole life just went down the drain. And God going, really? You put your whole life value in this place? You do know this place can change. Therefore, your value can change. If you put it in the right place, Dave, it's not going to change. You won't be working towards changing the value. You have it in the wrong place. Matthew 22, 36 to 40, teacher, which is the uh, great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is, the, this is the great and first commandment. And the second is, like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And these two commandments depend on all the law and prophets. I love that. It's like, okay, let me simplify. Let me break this down to the simple. What is life about? This. If I don't do everything else well, I need to do these two things well. You know, I need to love the Lord my God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind. That's number one. If I'm not doing that, then everything's going to be out of whack. If you're in this room and, and you're not even in God's family, you're not a believer, well, you can't do that. You can't love God and not be in his family. You've got to be in his family first. And we'll talk more about that. But the bottom line really is, God says, here's how I made you. I made you to love me. So if you're not loving me, you, you're going to be searching in life for that spot that's missing. You're searching for it. You're going to try to fill it with money, drugs, sex, alcohol, fame, fortune, power, something. And at the end of each one of those journeys, you're going to go, I didn't find it yet. However, if you start with me, you don't need that other stuff. Oh, you might have that other stuff, but you don't need it. And you won't be tempted to love what you should use and use what you should love. You won't be tempted to do that. Loving each other is really a simple concept. Remember, love is a, it's a choice. It isn't a feeling. 
It's not an arrangement. It's actually a choice. So I get to choose to love, and I'm told to. I can love my enemies. What it is is looking at somebody and thinking, what do I need to do to help you in your journey be the best you can be, the best part you can be? So if you are a believer, then what can I do? If you're a knuckle, what can I do to make sure you're the best knuckle, the best use, you know, the around you needs to work and all that kind of stuff? What do I need to do to, in your life to be used in a way where I can help you be the best you can be? That's what love is. It's, it's a choice to look at others and think, all my talents, all my abilities, the things that I have been given to me, have been given to me so that I can help you. Oh, and by the way, all the things that you have that have been given to you have been given to you so you can help me. You say, shouldn't I think about me? Let me see, where's that Bible that says, make sure you take care of yourself best first? It's not there. Do you know that the way God made us was to always be looking out for what his will is and for what we could do in others' lives. Always be looking for that. And in that process, you're taken care of just fine. You really are. I mean, you think about how God could set that up. I think about the weakness we had when the storm came here. You know, some of you came up and helped, and, and um, I was telling Dave, when I go by and groom, he was up here cutting one day, and whenever I go by and groom that spot on the trail, I thank him and pray for him, actually, because it's like, I remember him out here. The trees are still off to the side, or, you know, but the trail's there. There were so many people that came up that just used their time, talent, gifts. And believe me, we were hurting. We were out of energy. We were... We were physically exhausted. Our equipment was used to breaking point. When somebody fresh came in, some guys rolled in here, they rolled in, they came in, they came in with their own skid steer and their own equipment and their own chainsaws, and all of a sudden they're here, and it's like, somebody thought, I need to use the stuff that's supposed to be used to love the people that are supposed to be loved. I don't love the stuff. I use the stuff. Money. You don't love money. You use money. Cars. You don't love cars. You use cars. What do you use them for? The two things you were made to do. Loving God and loving people. That's what you use them for. If you do that, everything becomes pretty simple, really, in life. Otherwise, it's really complicated because you're trying to balance how do I make sure I'm the center of the universe and God's the center of the universe and how do I use all this stuff and how do I, oh yeah, try and make two centers of the universe. See where you go with that one. There's only one and it's God. I, I know that if anything else, I can fail at everything else, but I, I, I need to put the energy into these two things and it's well defined. Loving God means being obedient to him. Loving Dave does not mean be obedient to Dave. That being obedient thing is only in reference to God and loving him, and that's because he's the only one that's right 100% of the time. I'm not. Loving people means looking at them and using what you should use to help them be what they should be. Whether it be your advice, whether it be your time, whether it be your resources, whatever it is. Because you're very concerned about them. I want to live in that kind of world, by the way. I, I love to live... I, I want to live in our post-storm world that we've had here. I want to see people who genuinely die to themselves and say, I, I, I want to do something to help people who can't repay me. 
That's a wonderful world to live in. Submission is a good thing. I, I, just, I know I've said it over and over again, but I want you to know it. Submission is a good thing. We need to be submitters. We need to work at submitting, not making arrangements. You know, it's interesting. When Jesus was going to the cross, he was an example of just submission, 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 submission. There's not a human being, including Jesus, that would want nails put in his hands and feet and be rejected by people. and be put. There's not a person that wants to be crucified. Jesus in Luke 22, when it came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. It's interesting what he told the disciples to pray. Pray that you won't enter into temptation. Don't, don't pray that I might. What would you be tempted to do? What temptation is he talking about here? Jesus was about to go to the cross. Contextually, I would look at it and go, there's a temptation to run from what you need to run from, you think. You think you need to run from the pain, you need to run from the purpose, you need to pray that you don't enter that temptation. You need to do God's will. That's the only place there's freedom, that's the only way you're created to be, anything else will leave you wanting. Submission is really a good thing. And he prays, says, and, and came to a place, said, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing to remove this cup from me, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. He demonstrated, here's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm demonstrating loving God. I'm submitting to him. This is his plan. Humanly, I don't want to do this. but I'm a submitter. And that's the only way that you're going to be okay is by submitting to God. In all of this submission, it makes it so that I could be in God's family and that I could be a co-heir with Jesus because of his submission. He's teaching us this submission thing. John 8, 28. So, when, so Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing on my own authority. I don't do anything. I'm a submitter. Think about it. Jesus, God, submitting to God and saying, I don't do anything on my own. I'm, I'm a submitter. That's what I am. I'm a submitter. You know, I, I tell God that's where I want to get in life. I want to be a submitter. I don't want to be a taker. I want to be a submitter. I want to listen to you, God, and I want to be perceptive to the people in my life so I can be submitting to their needs. I, I, that's what I'd like to do. I'd like to be a submitter. So I need to practice submission, by the way. That's what I need to do. Because it's not something I'm natural at. In fact, I'm natural at the other. I want it to be about me. I, want it, you know, I need to learn this submission thing. That's what Jesus did. 1 Peter 2. For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow his, in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. 
by his wounds you have been healed. It's interesting. It says, he died on the tree. He died on the cross so that you might be able to live. Not so that, it doesn't say just to keep you from burning in hell. He said he gave his life so that you could actually live. You know, God describes life the only way that it can actually be described. He describes life as those who actually are in relationship with him. He gives them life. And without him, there is no life. You're just existing somehow. And really, you're going to have all kinds of regrets down the road. Because you never actually lived according to the plan. If you don't live according to the plan, then down the road, you're going to be a miserable person. Oh, you might be saying, I haven't tried this, I haven't tried that, I haven't tried that. Okay, give it a try. Sorry, some of these stories, because I've spoken to you a lot, have been there, but I had a student a couple years ago come to me and just say, you know, Dave, thanks for all that, but I'm, I'm rejecting God. I just wanted you to know that. You mentored me, you worked with me, I tell you, I'm, I'm walking. I'm going the other way. And I said, well, thanks for including me. I said, do me a favor, though. What? Call me in five years. Tell me how it's going. That's all you're going to say to me? That's it. See ya. He left. About two years, three years later, I get this call. It's him. He says, Dave, told me who he was. And I said, oh, how you doing? Not so good. I'm sitting on a beach in California. I have no money. I have no job. I'm a drug addict, a sex addict. I'm thinking about killing myself. That's how it's going. How's it with you? I knew why he called. We spent some time on the phone. He's actually come back here a couple times since. Married now. Part of a church. At least he's moving forward. You see, he said, well, I, I need to find this significance in life apart from God, so I'm going to do it. I said, well, if you're going to do it, go ahead. Just let me know how it goes. I know how it's going to end. I'm sorry. I'm just hoping it doesn't end in a way where you can't respond still. Because that's not my choice how that happens. That's God's. That's yours. But if you want to live your life as if the world was a mistake, you want to live your life as if there are no you know, distinctions like man, woman, and, you know, the things that God has made us. You want to live as if there's no such thing as real love and just manipulate people and use people? I promise you, you'll be miserable. Because there's no fulfillment in any of that. But you've watched enough Hollywood and watched enough stuff, well, maybe that's what you think it's going to happen. So, you know, knock yourself out. Just let me know when you're done. And if I'm still alive and you're willing, let's talk. Because I think in the end you're going to want God. And you're going to regret all the years in between. Knowledge, it fuels submission or destroys it. Depends on what knowledge is. You can go and you can read all the great atheists of the world. I had young people that go and say, yeah, I'm going to go into take religion classes at, at an Ivy League school. And I said, don't do that. You don't want to listen to them. Oh, you're going to stay away from them. I tell you what, you're not solid enough in knowing what the Bible says. 
You can be twisted. You have to guard the things that you know are true. Remember, that's what Mary did. You guard the things in life that you know are true. And if somebody comes to you and says what's true isn't true, you know that's not true, so you stay away from that. You don't embrace it. Knowing God also always results in submission. If you really know God, if you really know him, you'll submit to him. I know you've heard me say it many times, but it's very simple. If you're disappointed in God today, you don't know him. If you're angry with him, you don't know him. If you don't want to listen to him, you don't know him. See, it always goes back to the same issue. Because if you really knew him, you would allow his son to be your savior, you'd be in his family, and you would want to live the way he created you to live because you really know who he is. And like anything else, it takes time to get to know him. I mean, if you want to think you know him, I don't know how many people I've talked to through the years because I like asking questions. And they say, well, I don't like, you know, God because of this reason. I say, did you ever read the Bible? My, usually my first question, like, no. So then be quiet. I mean, it's, you can't tell me about knowing somebody and never spend time with them and then tell me you know them. I mean, that's just ridiculous. You can't do that in life. You can't do that that way. At least read the Bible through, then come back and talk to me. Or at least read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. How about that? Then come back and let's have a discussion on it. Because you can't, I mean, big deal. Your opinion means nothing. It's like a three-year-old telling me how Hondas are put together. I don't care. They don't know. Oh, they're free of their opinion, by the way. But when the society starts respecting their opinion on how Hondas are put together, the society's nuts. Because they don't know how they're put together. For a three-year-old telling you how a Honda's put together, tap them on the head and say, cute. But I wouldn't listen to them. And sometimes we need to do that to one another and say, cute, because this is where really you're at, even though you don't know who God is. So once you get to know him, you all have a different opinion. But you don't know him, so I wouldn't talk about him too much. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. I love this verse. Because Jesus says here, the cross, see, the cross for Jesus was his purpose. That was his purpose. That's why he came here, to die. So what does he tell me to do? Dave, every day, what I want you to do is pick up your purpose. I don't want you to make your purpose about you. Because your purpose has never been about you. So I don't want you to make it about you. So you pick up your purpose every day and follow me. I did that. Jesus did that on the earth. I need to do that. That's where I find fulfillment. That's where I find significance. That's where I find security. That's where I find it. Now, if I'm not in God's family, I'm not a Christian, I can't find it. I'll keep looking in all the other places. I'll keep looking. I'll fail. But I'll find it if I come to God and I say, okay, so today, God, in the storm, no storm, in the snow, you know, I woke up this morning, believe it or not, I have to, you know, I have to tell myself these things. I woke up and I saw the snow. I go, are you kidding me? It has snowed since Tuesday. And God just smiling in heaven like, you got a problem with that? No. I keep grooming those trails, though. They're supposed to stay groomed. I want them groomed for you guys. I want them in nice shape. They're not in nice shape again. Well, Brad went out this morning, so hopefully they'll be in nice shape for you. But the bottom line really was, you know, you got to keep saying, God, you know what? I keep thinking this whole world and universe should really revolve around me and my thoughts and my feelings. Can you just arrange that a few times? And God says, 
they're really around me, not you, so why don't you get that in line? And really, Dave, when you get reality in mind, truth in mind, you'll be okay. You keep making this about you, you're going to be one miserable person, I promise. Because it will never work. It can't be about you. Oh, it can for 30 seconds. Agreed. But those 30 seconds lapse pretty quickly. And then it's not about you again. And guess what you got to do? You got to keep doing something to make it about you. You know what happens to people who have to really work at making it about them all the time? They get exhausted. Those people who know that it's about God and live that way and enjoy the fact that God Almighty loves them, they don't get exhausted because it's not their effort. They just enjoy the day, moment by moment, seeing God take care of things. See, there's a different way to live. One doesn't make sense. We'll end with this. 1 Peter 1, 20, 25. He was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. For a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. We have it within us to realize that the life that God's given to us is something far more precious than those things that fade away. I actually am an old hockey football player, and, and uh, I like acting tough. But one of my favorite things in the world are flowers. So it's hard to act tough with flowers. But one of the reasons I like flowers so much is they have a very distinct purpose. The flower, in, in all but one plant, I believe, the violet, um, the little violet that's a weed in your garden, all, but, all the other flowers, they're there really as the reproductive system of the plant. Their purpose is to be fragrant and attractive for the sake of pollination and reproduction. That's their purpose. And once that gets taken care of, they fade and leave. They're gone. And I keep looking. When I see a flower, I go, God, I know my purpose. I'm to be fragrant and attractive so that I can reproduce spiritually. That's what I need to do. That's my purpose. I have a job to do. It's not just so I attract people here or whatever it might be. It's so that I can reproduce spiritually. And yes, God, it's a very temporary thing because once that job's done, I'm done. I fade. And right now, I can't tell you where any of the flowers are up here. They were nice in the summer and spring, but they're somewhere now that they're not showing themselves. They'll be back next year. They just don't last long. I'm not going to last long. You're not going to last long. I can't believe that actually I've been in youth work 50 years and this place 53. I can't believe it. It's like I just started. I'm thinking, God, I'm an old guy. People actually look at me and think I'm old. That's what happens when you work with kids. 
I need to go to a retirement center where I'm young. Perspective, you know. Just walk around there for a while, and all of a sudden I feel pretty young. My goal hasn't changed through the years. Sometimes I'm not on track, and God has to put storms or bus rides in my path to show me what I'm actually thinking. Oh, I would have told you during those bus episodes that, yeah, I trusted God, God, you know, yeah, until I was walking back to camp one day. It's the way God works. It's always been about him. I need to make it about him. I need to rejoice in who he made me, my role. I need to let men be men and women be women. And I need to love. I can do those three things. I don't want to go into the rest of the list of everything religious people do. I need to do those three things. And if I can do those three things, maybe, maybe life will be purposeful, meaningful. Not maybe, it will be. I'll find my significance. I'll find my acceptance, and I'll find my security right there. Without God, I don't have any of it. And we'll talk more about that as we go on. Father, again, thank you that we could meet again this morning, and I pray that your spirit continue to work in each of our hearts. Help us understand that it's really simple, that you're God and we're not, that you love us, that you have a plan. The truth is available, and we need to evaluate our lives on that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.